0: Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. A
1: wish from the pastor is a royal command. It's basically something that you hear over, or I I heard personally, and, and whoever was there with me, heard over and over and over and over again, which just was to ingrain the philosophy that the pastor is the boss, period. There's one guy, and whatever he says goes, and whatever he thinks may happen.
0: Hi, everybody. My name is Eric Skorzynski, and I am the host of the Preacher Boys podcast. Welcome to episode number two. I want to start off by thanking you for your support of the initial episode of this series and for your support of the Preacher Boys documentary project. I couldn't do any of this without your support, and it really means the world to me. I've received so many encouraging messages, calls, texts, and uh, I can't thank all of you enough. Today's episode is with Stephen Stephen Thiel. Uh, Stephen was recruited into an IFB youth group when he was almost 15 and was groomed to be a, quote, preacher boy, preaching every chance he got in homeless shelters, detention centers, and services. He surrendered to a call of ministry on his life and committed full time. He attended West Coast Baptist College, a ministry of Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California and then served 8.5 years in two different independent fundamental Baptist churches. Stephen has since left the movement. So we talk quite a bit about the independent Baptist movement. We dig deep into the uh, power structure that's found within uh, Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College and how his experience uh, both in ministry and attending the college uh, impacted his view of the movement and what he thinks uh, we can learn from his experience. So, I'm going to go ahead and jump right into that interview. I think it's a really good one. And I'll go ahead and throw this out there. Even though this episode doesn't deal specifically with physical abuse, we are going to be talking, as we are with every episode, about abusive situations and um, abusive ministries, abusive leadership. And so I just want to issue just a trigger warning. All of these subjects are pretty difficult. Even the the stories that maybe on paper aren't as extreme. For those of you who grew up in the movement, they may bring back some harsh memories. And so... Just be aware of that as we go into the episode. And I think that if we can listen to these hard conversations, we can learn quite a bit. And I know that there'll be a help to some people who maybe are in the position Stephen was in not so long ago, you know, feeling the, the same pressures, struggles, and anxieties that Stephen had. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for uh, hopping on an interview with me. I really appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to kind of some of your background And um, maybe tell me just a little bit about, um, you know, your experience growing up and then what that initial introduction to the independent Baptist movement was for you.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So I grew up in church. Uh, My uh, folks actually left a very uh, strict Baptist church. I didn't know it at the time. Um, I was five years old and went to a more, uh, very conservative, but more community oriented church for 10 years. So basically okay. from when I was five to 15 and uh, from, and have built friends that I still have today, a uh, really okay. healthy place and a healthy group of people. Okay. Uh, when I uh, was almost 15, I started hearing about uh, a youth group that was just really an exciting place to be. Uh, some of my friends that I went to school with had started going on Wednesday nights and had invited me. And so I uh, decided I was going to go. Um, at this point, uh, my parents just let me you know, start attending on Wednesday nights. And uh, really, it was an exciting time. Uh, really heard preaching like I had never heard before I got to experience just an exciting vibrant ministry with you know probably you know 10 times the amount of teens that I was normally with all that had a, a heart for God that really had a passion to to do something with their lives and it was very exciting I mean it was like probably 80 to 100 kids that met every Wednesday night uh at uh in the basement of a church um that was you know not too far from where i was so right
0: so um so as you started getting involved um was the was the denomination that you were already involved in was that independent baptist as well or was the youth group kind of the first venture for you um kind of into that into that world
1: yeah no the other church was uh just it was called uh a, it was just a bible church okay um, whether or not I was part of any organization, I actually would, wouldn't be able to tell you. That church doesn't even uh, exist anymore, um, but uh, I really haven't dug too much into it. There was certainly no politics surrounding it. We didn't really do a ton of things with other churches, and, and the youth group was just the kids that went to the uh, the church there. So yeah, that youth group was the first time I personally had ever experienced minus the very slight memories that I have of, you know, uh, you know, church when I was five years old, which was very, very few. This was my first like dip uh, into uh, the, the IFB movement and it was extremely exciting. Definitely.
0: So, so in the height of that excitement, um, using just a few words, what would you have described? If I was asking you at that time period to describe the IFP movement, at the peak of your involvement, when things were exciting, what are a couple words you would have used to describe your experience and your connection to it?
1: Probably the first four to five years, I would say, again, there was this real fire. There's a camaraderie, a satisfaction in believing what I was doing was making a difference. Um, There was uh, a real... I mean, coming of age for me kind of happened right at that time where I was able to get a singular focus in my life. And that felt really good for me. Um, it, it allowed me to know exactly what I was going to be doing today and tomorrow and into the future. And, and that was extremely satisfying.
0: Right. So you said for the first four or five years, that would have been the case, but, um, I'm assuming the story doesn't end there. What was kind of the turning point where, you know, and I know we haven't spoken much beforehand. So, what was the turning point where you started thinking, you know, something
1: feels off or something's not quite right? The first uh, uncomfortable moment that I had um, was uh, I went to uh, Bible college after surrendering to surrendering to preach, and I came a day early, so I actually was able to stay on the campus. There was probably like five people on campus. And I got up the next morning, and I sat on the couch and just watched, you know, all these people come in. Uh, The camaraderie that I thought I had was one that wasn't with any of these people and realized I was going to have to work my way through the ranks of... What was the politics of Bible college? I realized that very quickly. Um, I'm adaptable and was able to kind of find my own way there um in its interesting and and kind of twisted political way. but um I realized that there was there was a little bit of uh um difference from from what I had come from, sure.
0: And and just there, what what college was this? Was this this was Lancaster um, West Coast Baptist College, correct? Yeah,
1: West, I went I went out to West Coast Baptist College. Yeah. Okay. And was
0: that was that a um, as far as location wise, was that a long distance from where you had grown up? Or was yeah, that, absolutely. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I was ready to get out of Pittsburgh, and California seemed like a really uh, really great place to be. I yeah, a little bit of a campus. jump. <laughs> yeah, right? right. Made sure it's at least two thousand miles away. Sure. Um, so I went out. I uh, went out there to visit. Had an amazing time. Uh, got to meet some really fun people, and uh, decided that I was going to move out there. So I did.
0: Huh. So th- so the location was obviously a big draw. Was there any, as far as. Bible College, was there pressure about Bible College, and then was there a specific person who who pushed you specifically toward that college, or was it just something where, you know, you kind of knew that that's what you needed to do, and that looked the most appealing when you're looking at a map of all these different options that you have?
1: Yeah, to be honest, there was never a strong manipulation on what college to go to. Okay. We uh, went on a, a few college tours, and the i mean the other ones were just not options sure um and they i mean i visited uh i don't even know if any of these exist anymore uh, providence baptist college hiles anderson baptist college does exist uh there's another one in like the midwest ambassador baptist college i went to Pensac- pensacola was an option and west coast was kind of still being started and formed and there wasn't really much out there and it was exciting and right. uh, kind of have that forging ahead pioneering spirit. And I wanted to be a part of that as well. So
0: what, so what time period would this be for the, for the college? I know you uh, went out there in 2003.
1: 2003.
0: And what was the yeah. size, do you think, when you, when you were attending?
1: There was, uh, when I went out there, there were 600
0: students, I remember. Wow. Okay, okay, so yeah, definitely, in that starting phase then so um, so once you got there so the first the first thing you kind of noticed was kind of the political thing it was the it was having to fight your way for you know popularity or trying to work your way into different
1: yeah levels. there's just a hierarchy um, right my my dad was worked in construction, okay, and my mom was a homemaker, and I had. N- never even dipped my toe into what was the 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 IFB subculture of, of what the world was and so I went in blind like right. this was the big moment of hey listen not everything is as it seems sure. like something is happening and I don't know what it is right and I never really got dialed into that I never really totally found out what that was um, and never truly uh, got over my insecurities while I was there uh, okay. or even serving the ministry
0: so did you feel I guess my question would be kind of based on what you just said did you did you ever get to a point while attending that you felt completely bought in or was it that did that feeling just kind of stayed and lingered and Kind of, oh, I was, was the I
1: was 100% bought in. Okay. But there was always that lingering feeling of, I don't deserve to be here. Right. That lack like, of self worth. I, I haven't earned that. There's, there's just a little bit more of what I should be doing. Right. And, and that's, I believe, something that's systemic in the movement. Okay. I don't know if I, that might be something that everyone feels. Uh, right. certainly it's something that I know other friends of mine have felt and feel, right. but it's certainly something that was not, I never talked about it. Yeah, I right. can't be literally training to become a pastor and leader and um, somebody that's going to guide others and reveal that I feel like this is something that's difficult for me.
0: Right. Yeah, you don't want to show any of that weakness, especially when it is such an environment where performance is so big. Um, so so you kind of have this lingering feeling and this kind of goes into, I, di- I didn't send this question ahead of time, but it's something that I'm thinking of. Um, so as I kind of started working toward sharing some of these stories about how to, you know, dissect the movement, dissect some of the leadership, one of the phrases that's just kind of stuck in my mind for my entire life is the phrase preacher boy. And um, it's probably kind of an inside baseball term, but I think anyone who is in the IP movement knows what I'm referring to. It's a culture of, you know, it's young people being trained and, basically being pushed to live at a at a higher level and become the next generation of you know the quote-unquote greats that came before them and um the term where i heard that used the most was actually at west coast baptist college they i know they had you know preacher boy competitions and all sorts of things like that um And I guess my question would be, you know, you talk about this feeling of not being able to share those insecurities or those doubts or reveal weakness to each other. Um, Do you feel, I think that's a systemic issue within the actual movement, but do you feel like that was something that was kind of an unspoken rule that was passed on from the top? Or do you think it was something that, you know, that you were kind of you know, silently taught by the leadership there? Or do you think it's something more that, you know, the, the people who were drawn there had a, you know, sort of chip on their shoulder of, you know, I have to be the best. And it was, it was almost a competitive thing rather than a growth, you know, growth-oriented thing.
1: I, I think it could be a combination of all of those uh, okay. that you just mentioned, and probably a few more that uh, we could even think hard and, and come up with. Um, okay. But yeah, when when there's a, a culture of preaching and teaching and uh, discipleship that drives home that uh, there is literally no higher calling, right? There is sure. no better thing that you could be doing with your life. There's nothing you could spend your time with that is that is a greater thing than becoming a pastor. That first of all, okay, if you tell me me as a person if you tell me that then i don't want to be that right if there's right. no greater thing that i can i can get to then heck yes right like that's what i want to be sure. so that's right that's why i'm here so if there's there's a way to become uh a a better leader a better uh follower a better christian closer to god i'm gonna figure out how to do that and i'm i'm in right, right. Uh, so yeah i mean there's definitely that um but with the idea of not being able to reveal a weakness, I mean, that's, that's from the very top. There is, there's literally no, um, the higher you go in, in any of these churches, um, they're all independent, right? So you, you, you can never right. break down a, uh, a leadership structure, but go with a church. I mean, sure. you're going to find very, very, very few pastors, um, that would ever, ever go before their church and say that they did something wrong. I mean, that is so rare. I mean, and and I, I mean, I've talked about it with uh, you know friends of mine that have left full-time ministry. I've seen men that would rather, and, and, and this is the extreme case, men that would rather take their own life right then go before their ministry and say i did something wrong yeah that is a sick demented corrupt place and it's it's created in your own mind right that is it's disgusting um however um it exists right and and so if i if i know that that guy can't say anything that he's ever thought done felt seemed said that i, I definitely can't
0: sure yeah definitely no there's a, there's a couple things you said there that i think are interesting and you know um obviously one being you know it's hard it's hard when it's hard to have conversations about the independent baptist movement because it's kind of a juxtaposition of terms anyway you have you know it's a movement of churches where they are It is a denomination, but it's also they all claim to be independent, so it's hard to, especially when you're talking with someone who's within it. It's hard to say, you know, oh, there is a systemic problem of A, B, or C, because the the instant rebuttal is we're independent, so you can't blame me for what the road does, you know. But the issue is they can cut that
1: person off so fast.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it it's it's a lot different than approaching any other organization because you can say well the president of the denomination said this what do you think versus you know there's a there's kind of this pick and choose what what do I associate with what do I not but like you said within the movement there is whether you're in Pittsburgh or whether you're in California the churches function very similarly and the the problems and the the especially issues with leadership are spread out all over the u s and um, so it's very it's just very interesting and it's again it does it makes it very hard when you're researching to say you know hey here's here's the root cause of this issue because the minute you start trying to talk to someone on the inside I'm saying this is someone who was inside of it for almost twenty years. Is there's a very difficult conversation because everyone who's within it denies being connected to anything negative. That's when the independent card comes out. You know, it's it's um, beautiful. Yeah, it's it's a it's kind of a perfect setup. Um, and especially when you get into some, you know, of the very serious scandals that have happened, it's a very easy way legally to separate yourself from anything that would look negative. Um, but yeah, I think. I think, yeah, you mentioned just a couple things that I, it's, I've heard it from people all over the place and they all share that similar feeling of, I felt insecure, I felt like, um, I I have a close friend that I've talked to who um, attended um, West Coast as well, and he talks about that, that feeling of, you can't reveal that you're struggling with something. And it seems like if there's a place you should be able to reveal something that's weighing on you mentally or especially spiritually, it would be a Christian college or a church setting, um, and so when you're focusing on something that's more performance based, you start running into a lot of issues that lead to some pretty unpleasant results. Especially when you know that resistance against revealing any weakness goes to the extremes that you mentioned earlier. Um, so, so as you started noticing this, and this kind of started standing out more and more. I know that you, I know that you've attended for a few years. Did you make it to graduation? Did you drop out?
1: I graduated graduated from West Coast. I got married while I was there. I wanted to make sure that I had things uh, squared away before I got married. So I had the most important conversations with my wife before we got married that she believed that the King James Version was the only Bible that our family was going to use. Uh, I wanted to make sure that she was going to wear a skirt or a dress when we got married. And that wasn't going to be an issue. And once I got those squared away, I knew I could marry this girl, right? Right. Um, My goodness. Thank God that my wife um, had enough grace to get past my absolute ignorance. and uh um i don't know allow me to grow right uh we're still married thank god um (laughs) uh it you know we got married while i was uh still in bible college she graduated and then we got married Um, so yeah i graduated with a pastoral degree um i made sure that i didn't uh you know Bail out or uh, or skimp out and get a church ministries degree. You know, I made sure I did both uh, or all my semesters of Greek, and uh, and made sure I had the best possible, you know, way to get get into a good church to uh, to make a difference.
0: Right. So um, before we move kind of into the the church ministry side, um, you mentioned a couple of things that I know for me are you know familiar statements, but for someone who's not familiar with this movement and is maybe hearing about it for the first time through some of this content, um, you mentioned, you know, the importance of her, you know, reading the King James or wearing skirts. What, what prompted that level of importance for those issues? And, um, you know, what were some of those things that you considered at the time to be, you know, spiritually speaking, life or death? You know, we don't go past this point, if
1: you don't agree with me on these issues? Um, it's been a while since I've been so dogmatic. <laughs> um, so thankfully, I've I've moved on. But kind of thinking back to those times, I was just fully convinced in my own mind that that was what was right for me. Right. Um, I was fully convinced that it was Um, Not just the best translation we had, but the only one we should be using. I was fully convinced that there was a standard for modesty for women that if you didn't adhere to, um, then it was sin. I was fully convinced that there was a a lifestyle that should be lived. That if you didn't, you disqualified yourself from ministry. You... um, would limit yourself in God's eyes. You would lose the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's a a lot of riding on getting those things right.
0: Right. And uh, would you say, um, you know, obviously, you know, modesty being a a huge issue and things. Did you feel that there was a that that there was a higher standard for the women in the college than there was for the men when it came to most of these topics? Or was that something that you felt like everyone kind of had their own set of insane, you know, and now looking back, insane rules for, or guidelines?
1: Yeah. I mean, when, so we'll back up. So back in, what, 2000, early 2000s to mid 2000s, um, when we went there, um, I mean, dress code was, was pretty strict um, I know kind of looking back I think when we left the biggest thing that changed was like the ladies didn't have to wear nylons anymore and like when I went to Bible college I didn't ne- even know what that word meant right. like, um, but like there was this level of, of dress code that came from the 1950s and and just had been hammered down so long people thought it was scriptural at, at some level.
0: Right.
1: And uh, I mean, there was always a level of, of logic in my mind that knew that was all like, there was always somebody more strict than me that I could say, I'm not that, right? Because right. it's independent. I'm not that nuts. Um, but I, there, I was at the top of the spectrum. There were, I could point to far more people on the other end than I could more conservative than me.
0: Right. Well, that's what it's, that's what is kind of the goal, right? Is to be separated and feel like I'm not like the others. I'm not like the outside world. It's, it's that.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's the us versus them mentality that, that these churches slash organizations have. It's us versus them, period, whatever that is. And you create that it's very um, clarifying to somebody that you're, you know, leading. However, it's also very uh, dangerous um, when you lead in a very black and white way like that. Right. And even here, it was the strangest thing, to hear myself say that almost seems wrong because there was a point in my life where if it wasn't black and white, then it was wrong. Right,
0: exactly. Yeah, there's no room for it's any different. kind of free thought or, or moving in a direction that doesn't have a clear guideline of this is what we're
1: supposed to do. 100%. And like the word compromise is a cuss word to the IFB movement. Right,
0: yeah. No, the Where, compromise is a, you failed, basically. You've compromised, you lost your values. 100%. You
1: are prostate. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like the guidelines and, and this is something that, you know, at least for me growing up in the movement and with all the research that I've done, you know, both within and having left is, I always looked at West coast as, and I guess in some ways I still do as a much milder in the, when you're looking at a list of Hiles Anderson, Golden State, Um, you know these colleges west coast seems to be at least now one of the milder colleges on the spectrum at least from the outside looking in but it still has a lot of the weird eccentricities that started back you know with guys like jack hiles and things like that do you do you feel that there was a did you feel any sense of like a like a you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did you feel any sense of sinister motives behind the guidelines that they were placing? Did you feel it was a power move? Or did you feel that it was something, you know, and maybe this is what you were touching on earlier, do you feel it was something that they had just the leadership had heard and been taught so long that it was just second nature at that point and it was just a lot of people who maybe were good people but were just teaching really bad practice and philosophy? What, what two
1: two I, things there yeah um there are uh a lot of great people there right that think some really i mean i like to think i'm at least half of a good person sure um not in myself but i believe i can live a good life and i believe there's a lot of good people there um and i there's there's one quote that has rung for so long and it's uh, a wish from the pastor is a royal command hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard that um it's it's basically that something that you hear over or i i heard personally and, and whoever was there with me heard over and over and over and over again which just um is an was to ingrain uh, the philosophy that the pastor is the boss, right? period. Like there is, there's one guy and whatever he says goes. Right. And whatever he thinks make happen. Like he could be like smacking his lips like he's thirsty and you should, you should have a drink for him. Right. And that level of attentiveness to one man does something to that one man, that you can't get around that that fact. And it feels really good to serve, and it feels really good to be a part of an organization that you believe in. And it feels good to like know, okay, a wish from the, the pastor is a royal command, and then he makes a wish, and you make it happen, and he smiles at you, right? Right. however that smile looks, whatever that reward is. Right. However, there's a flip side of that, right? There's the, you mess up. Yeah. And the hammer that comes down when you mess up is so much more devastating than the reward that comes with uh, serving right. in a ministry like that. And the, these ministries are so abusive to the men and women that give their lives to them. Right. That they literally have nothing when it comes, you know, at the end of the day and they will use Bible verse to tell them why that's so and why that's good. And when they die and go to heaven, they're going to have riches. Um, but every one of those pastors, right. Don't live that out.
0: Right. And, and was this something, was this phrase, you said you actually, so I've, I've heard variations of that phrase, but it's always been used by people who have left the movement and just are describing what it was like. So you, you literally heard people use that phrase in a, in a sense that was supposed to make it sound normal, that this is the way that it should. Oh, 100%. Be.
1: Professors and was, in, in, okay. in college passes.
0: That was my next question was, it was, so you were hearing this from leadership, from assistant pastors oh, 100%. And, and, and professors and things like that. What Did you feel like this was something that was kind of mandated by, you know, Paul Chappell for them to say, or do you think it's just something that they went in? It's and, a
1: culture. I mean, I, he doesn't have to mandate it. But he doesn't stop it from happening. It <laughs> rides the wave, right? Right. Like you don't even have to at this point. This has been going on for decades. Right. Like, you, like far before. So it's like the bubble's already rolling. If you can hop on and be like, I feel like half the staff used to be uh, be on staff at at uh, Howells Anderson College yeah. at West Coast. So like you can't get around the fact that that stuff's ingrained in you. Right Especially when you are in the literal same movement, right, brand it how you want, it's just a brand
0: yeah no there's definitely um I know there's definitely some people and and this is again, this is where that you know independent conversation comes into play, but I know that there's a lot of staff who can be traced back to Bob Jones or Hiles Anderson or any you know fill in the blank they they all share that same pool of people um you know. Obviously, like I mentioned before, when I say the name Hiles Anderson College, that name carries a lot more baggage to more people than I think maybe West Coast name does. But give it time. Yeah, that's well. That might answer some of my question. Is is uh, there's part of me that you know, with how much crossover there is, it seems strange to me that the image is as sanitized as it is. Um, and I've, you know, my theory about it is that they're better at covering things up than maybe these other places are. Um, did you feel, you know, as you and friends and staff are working in service of this organization, did you were you aware of any kind of, you know, cover-ups or things that you felt it was your duty to to not talk about because it would tarnish the reputation of the college, or did you feel like the extent of negative was just like man worship of the leadership or was it, again, a mix of both of those things?
1: So I was on the side of bought in. Okay. So I, I, I traveled for West coast, uh, on, uh, for a men's quartet. Like I literally recruited people to go there. I was fully convinced in my mind that if you wanted to serve God and train for the ministry, this was the place to do it. Um, so my filter for what I would allow through my ear gate, um, was very, uh, very thin, right? There weren't too many particulates going through that, uh, filter. So I, if there was something my brain probably shut down and just said that couldn't possibly be true yeah
0: it would just be oh that's gossip or that you're just speaking out of turn or that's none of our business kind of thing
1: yeah i mean however like now looking back and hearing conversations and knowing conversations that i had with staff it's more just odd right like right no systemic not not that I'm aware of, like cover-ups of, uh, but there's enough of just like uncomfortableness, right, to not want to be a part. And I was having a conversation with my uh, wife uh, today, and while we were dating, um, I don't remember what it was that we got in trouble about, uh, but we probably were like holding hands or we had like were rubbing elbows. Um, quite literally, this is probably what it was. I don't remember, um, but we, I know you laugh, but I, I mean, it was quite literally like you you could not touch. Oh yeah, no, I definitely know, yeah. Um, so we, we might've been engaged, but I don't think so at this point. And we were called to the Dean's office and we were brought in and the Dean of men decide i I don't know it's just there it's the culture right so he goes into a conversation and lets my wife know that during our marriage that um that i if she wanted to keep me i would need a high level of stimulation as a man from her and if she didn't give that to me then it was going to be very hard to keep me wow that's when we were dating yeah and like i you sit there in that conversation and i i i felt uncomfortable back then but now listening to how my wife felt in that conversation yeah is is pretty disgusting like right. it's just not your it's not even good advice let alone yeah. like a conversation you should be having
0: yeah well um, it's, bad, it's bad advice at a bad time and then when you hear the context of or, or the the content of what he's saying he's essentially saying that whatever you choose to do is it's her responsibility to stop it. It's on her. Oh,
1: 100. 100.
0: And that, that kind of conversation. And, and just going back to what you said earlier, that's the stuff that's really weird for me. And it's, it's honestly, this is one of the harder interviews because there's so little public, unlike Ohio's, there's so little public scandal information or things like that have been published that it's very hard it's it's all of it is and even from my experiences with people it's this like murky uncomfortable feeling where something more is happening in a situation but there's no way to put your finger on what exactly is really freaking you out you know it's it's a it's just a weird it's such a weird environment in general
1: truly uh there's such a high level of control on on adults, uh, that can yeah. make their own decisions, but decide to go there and give up every freedom that they got when they were 18. It's just strange, right. uh, strange environment in general. Um, but, uh, it, there, you know, that's also, you know, kind of going back to the, the idea of like levels of, of, uh, um, ministry or whatever it might be like they would train people to be school teachers. And like, there was a few, um, I'm now half by happenstance related by two marriages uh, to somebody that decided he was going to be a school teacher, got trained at West Coast. And the level of like uh, respect and praise and out in the open and lifting up that differed from Uh, those two degrees, was is quite, I mean, it wouldn't even be a secret, like it wouldn't even um, be different. Uh, But also, like, he also got just some awfully horrible, um, probably even wicked advice to to leave uh, the girl that he was dating at the time, now married to, uh, because of what she had worn. Um, and, and really just strange stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and just overreaching, you know, with control. Just speaking yeah. into things that weren't their responsibility at all. Um, so, so dealing with this, you know, obviously with your college experience, you went on to graduate, and then, um, I know you had mentioned you, you went on to surf for almost nine years with two different churches. So, um you know can you talk just a little bit about what that transition was like do you feel like things got better did things got worse and then what was kind of the, the final straw or the boiling point that made you kind of step away from you know that culture
1: yeah i again i was kind of coming off of a high at west coast i mean i had a good experience an odd one but I would say, a good experience um, in uh, emotionally coming off of it. Uh, So I went into full-time ministry. Um, I, going looking back, didn't look too much into it. I interviewed with a a few pastors. I always thought I'd go back home to Pittsburgh and serve in my home church. At that point, there was, you know, no open position. Um, The pastor invited me to come back and serve, but get a job. That wasn't really what I was looking for by vocational. I wish I would have, but he, I went to serve full-time in a church uh, north of Philadelphia. And uh, I mean, I love serving people. So I love that I got the opportunity to uh, love on people the way that I wanted to when I could, but that was few and far between. Hmm. There is so much of the pastor's um, personality projected on that ministry. And I, to my own shame, took too long to realize that. Um, I took, I mean, it took me seven years, maybe to work up enough courage to be convinced in my mind that it was wrong. I bore, I thought I was bearing the load of, uh, pastoral abuse myself. Okay. And the the biggest thing that kind of opened my eyes, the eye-opening moment was when I realized it wasn't just me being abused. Right.
0: And when you you say abused, do you mean just your schedule being taken advantage of? Was it, you know, was it overstepping with into relationship or, or what, what did that mean in your context?
1: So there's a, a level of control that an employer, um, should have. Okay. Um, and I allowed my priorities to get out of whack, right? I, my pastor, my church, my employer, my God, all became rolled into one. Right. And everything else came after that, including the relationship with my wife, eventually with my kids. Um, so I allowed that to come first. Certainly there's a level of, um, working too much i mean that's but like if you want to be passionate and succeed in life you work a lot right that's that's not too bad uh one time we did a uh, another staff member and i did a calculation of how much we made per hour (laughs) and uh it was like less than four dollars an hour wow um which we did just to like laugh at ourselves and i don't know Just made light of it, but now looking back, it's like just so horrible and just odd. And uh, not that I was, not that I'm a money hungry human being, but um, because we lived on the church property and because we had access to the food bank, and the pastor thought that was a benefit um, of the church, uh, then. We didn't make as much because we could go get free food uh, uh, that's just something strange but um the level of uh um control the level of um verbal abuse that the staff went through at the ministry i was at um i would say was probably more than most okay uh and and that's eventually what i went to the pastor about um I put in my resignation back in twenty fourteen and then after preparing for like two or three months went to him and said, Hey, listen, I believe that you struggle with these things and he resigned actually. Um Wow. That's surprising. He went to the he went to the deacons, he said, Hey, listen, this is where I'm at. I'll resign if you want. He resigned and then went <laughs> just went to a different church. Wow. I was almost surprised. <laughs> You were almost surprised, right? But, oh but
0: Yeah. So essentially and, someone pointed out the Emperor has no clothes and they just went to a different town. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's a hundred percent what it was. And then they're like, Okay, I don't I don't need this place. There's pull anymore, and now I got all my sermons ready to go. And right. I be in in my sick mind, I for a few months went on <laughs> Both churches' websites and kept matching his his reused sermons uh, because just out of therapy for myself. I don't know why right. I did that, but um, but it's kind of that's pretty systemic as well. Just move people around. Um, that church was never approached with why he left. Um, that church was never um, asked and uh, like what to do. He just went to a new ministry. So uh, which is interesting. But during that time. Um, we had uh, three three staff guys, um, and probably five or six years into it, the the person with the most tenure left, and mm. we realized that he, even though we take a brunt of a lot of just verbal abuse and control, we always could go to this this assistant pastor's office and blow off steam.
0: Right. It was probably
1: therapeutic for him too. And he was really a buffer between the pastor and the staff and the pastor and the church. He was a a great politician. Mm. Um, He left and that buffer was gone. And so the church got more of what the, the pastor's dysfunction and the staff did as well. And uh, um, just the, just the, the strain, just getting yelled at and having to do pre staff meetings to navigate what he was going to say, what he was going to yell about, and how we could actually get work done in the ministry was a weekly occurrence.
0: In spite of we the leadership.
1: Remember, yeah, like the church staff would get together and have a staff meeting to figure out how we were going to present ideas in a way that we could actually accomplish something. In an okay. order that we knew what he would blow up on, and then what he would actually, you know, kind of bite on.
0: So you would literally structure it to do the lowest chance of him blowing up in the beginning of the meeting, and then try to move anything that would be volatile to the very end of the meeting.
1: Uh, it was actually more sophisticated than that. Uh, okay. it's a human being, but yeah, yeah. Um, we would basically have these straw man ideas that we knew were not going to work um and kind of in a sophisticated way and it was always like making sure that he had a good part in the the hatching of a new idea that was already totally formulated just real real manipulative stuff but uh it's always what you what i found is it's always really easy to manipulate a manipulator and so it, it we really broke broke down very formulaic um how to operate in that ministry until I realized like other people were being hurt. And I was like, I I couldn't stay. Yeah. And then
0: that, so you kind of left at the same point that he did and then just went on to just living your life separated from that. That was kind of that last breath of that movement for you.
1: Well, I um, thought it would be, Um, I left that ministry and went back to Pittsburgh I decided mm-hmm. I was going to work under or at the the church that I had gotten saved at, or at least resaved, or whatever happened. Uh, the that ministry was something that I thought was going to be like my breakthrough, and then I realized it was <laughs> the same stuff. Right. Like I thought it was just that place, just like I thought it was the abuse was just on me. Then it was other people, and it was like holy smokes. Like, this is no different. This is the same place. And uh, the pastor was different. He was not um, abusive in the same way. Um, however, like it was the same things. You're talking about the same stuff. You're trying to navigate the same same things. And it was actually more, even more of a step back navigating through some of the most asinine, ridiculous stuff from putting words on a screen of the literal hymns you're singing, yeah. uh, to, I mean, oh, my word, just really ridiculous things. Yeah. Uh, I was there 18 months. Um, and, and after having six meetings with the pastor in 18 months, I, I resigned. I was like, this is not just, um, one place. Uh, this is, this is a movement and one that I saw in three different Pastors, three different leadership styles, all part of the same um, type of ministries that are all workspace sanctification ministries.
0: Right. So, so now stepping away from from all of that, what's what does your life look like now as far as recovery process from you know your experiences and dealing with you know more than a decade of you know twisted you know mental leaps and you know strange abuse patterns and things like that what what has been that process for you and what's been most helpful for you as you've kind of you know separated yourself and tried to you know do the self-work and you know work with your family as you you guys kind of move past this chapter
1: um thankfully um My wife has been along for that ride. Uh, She was very willing to make that move with me. And and we made that together and and stepped away from ministry together. Um, We decided that we weren't going to believe anything. Um, Mm -hmm. We were going to choose to start from ground zero of where we were at. Um, to take anything that we had and try to like make it something else is we've, I've just seen that over and over and over and over again. And it's literally just changing a word that I used earlier, the brand, right? Right. I wasn't, I wasn't interested in rebranding my Christianity. Right. Um, So it looked different. I wanted it to be different. And so I really took a deep dive um, into looking at all angles um right. so I, I read things on and watched things on atheism i looked into a you know and read uh apologetics on you know being an agnostic i looked into other uh, other ways that god has been viewed past present and um really wanted to find out if what i had was what i wanted right um and so we and that's what what brought me to um the the gospel of um salvation right and the gospel of sanctification and it's it's really something that we we try to at least keep in the forefront of our minds and i i I believe this is where this this movement gets it wrong. Um, it's, they, they have a strong belief that the gospel is the power for salvation. Um, and they, but they do not have a, a belief that the gospel has the power to sanctify a person. And they do not allow somebody the freedom of what that might look like. Right. And so we gave ourselves the freedom to look at what our lives would be if we read our bible when we did and we went to a church that we felt comfortable in in our spirituality and um, have been to many churches over you know the last four years um, we do go to a church now faithfully um that's even like one of the an IFB word i guess but <laughs> yeah. Uh, we. yeah. Uh, we go to a church, right? Like people recognize us there. Um, I text with a pastor every once in a while, right? Like normal, normal place. Um, and so we, we went through a process of figuring out where we went wrong. And that's for us, that's where, what it was. Um, we, for a long time, um, used behavior modification techniques to try to become something that we were not. And probably should have never been right. and um, found peace in the fact that if we were going to change, it was going to be because God wanted us different, not because any man wanted us different. Right. And so, and, and then we always, we decided that once we left the ministry, we would no longer make a single decision because of guilt. Right. Uh, which has been a healthy uh, practice for us. We literally, like, if we're deciding to do something, we search our motives. And if it's because we feel guilty, we just won't do it. Even if it's, like, something you probably should do, like, we just don't do it. Right. Because, uh, you know, we've done, we just did so many things by guilt or through guilt um, that it was just not worth making the decision based on that motive.
0: Right. Yeah. Guilt's not a great motivator. It's a quick way to burn out for sure.
1: Oh, it's a great motivator. I mean, that's, uh, and, and, but, you know, it does burn out pretty quick. I guess I say
0: Unhealthy motivator. <laughs> it is a good, motivator, but an unhealthy motivator for sure. So, um, yeah, no, I really appreciate you sharing kind of that trajectory and you may have already answered this, um, I just have two two more questions for you. Um, first, I think you kind of hit on, but if you could say something to someone sitting in the pew of a abusive IFB ministry um, and maybe they're scared to leave or they feel like they're unable to leave or unable to speak out, what, what would you say to them?
1: Um, I would say that God loves you so much and is the antithesis of what love is. And if you don't feel loved in the place that you go to worship or you don't feel like it's a a place that you can express love in a godly way, then search why. Hmm. Right. Like there's fear is um something that causes us to, to freeze, to stumble, but it's also something that allows us to, um, really figure out some things and just you, if you are fearful, right, figure out why, um, and then find out, like, why you are not motivated by something higher, um, because once you are, it's, it's so stinking freeing, um, and I re- Re-learning, relearning this is, is something that's good for us because I, I am not great at it, but um, expressing lo- unconditional love to those that are around you just because is like pretty magnificent and extremely godly and has changed the way that, that we make decisions when we choose to live that way. And uh, it's, it's pretty amazing.
0: Love that answer. Um, and this kind of ties hand in hand. Um, I know that we, we spoke earlier in the conversation about, you know, there being, you know, there's definitely some issues that are deeply rooted within the movement. There's, you know, even a lot of present leadership that have some of the biggest churches and establish some of the weird rules and regulations and problems that you see arise those things all exist, but you know, there are, you know, we mentioned there are some good people that are stuck within a messy situation. Um, But looking, looking at the systemic issues, looking at the IFP movement as a whole, is there hope for a reform of that movement or do you feel it's a movement that needs to just, you know, be put to rest and, you know, find you know people should find other paths outside of it um what do you think do you think there's hope for for reform of that movement or do you think it's past that point
1: well i mean by me leaving uh, i think is my answer to that i right. don't think there is any hope for it whatsoever okay. um, it's very foundational truths of practice not doctrine but practice are so uh, just strange um and any ministry that i've seen that is doing it different differently that still would fellowship are so rare that they have very little influence
0: exactly um
1: there's there's always like a little glimmer of hope or like you hear of these churches that are like, oh yeah, but they don't. But then, then you see them, and there's like maybe some weird connection, and yeah. and it's like why? I just don't understand. Um, and it, it they all they can always just claim the independence of it. Wow. But um, for me, there's no reason for me to fellowship with somebody, not be kind with, but like fellowship and allow influence to those that I love that I I disagree with fundamentally. And I just don't see anybody bold enough to say, listen, I'm just not that. (laughs) And if you're not that, you're not, right? Like there's there's so many people trying to rebrand. There's so many people saying, oh, well, we don't tell our congregation what to wear now it's like yeah. what do you mean now like you used to like, yeah why were you telling everybody in the first place right like yeah. that's odd
0: it, it's um, kind of but, just repainting a, a broken building like at a certain point you just yeah. kind of have to demolish and rebuild something better
1: yeah it's like oh well yeah, we've seen some growth well what growth well yeah. we've brought some new songs into our church oh, Where when they come from well they were written 40 years ago instead of 60 years ago yeah As it, a like, Literally, those are the strides that are happening now. Right. Um, like, so if that's, it's just not worth it um, for the individual to stay in a ministry like that. Yeah. And if people realize that there are fantastic God led ministries out there that are doing great works that they've never been told about because they're in such a small community. Um, which that's what we realized. Yeah. Um, then they they really should just leave. Like there's just no reason to stay. It's not going to die, right? There's right. always going to be a small um, vein of of what what is uh, this kind of pseudo um, religion and pseudo Baptist culture. But um, the smaller it gets, the better, because it, it is. It's it's not a, a healthy organization.
0: Right. Well, thank you um, so much for, again, sharing that story and the insights. Um, I love, you know, over the past couple days, I kind of announced this project. I've gotten to talk to a lot of different viewpoints and people from all over that have, you know, kind of shared their position and their, you know, kind of what their observation is. And I really appreciate you taking time to, to share yours. And I know that there's going to be a lot of people who are in similar positions to what, what you saw yourself in. So I really appreciate Appreciate your answers. Um, is there is there anything else before we end the conversation? Is there anything else that you'd like to say that maybe wasn't asked or that you think is important to get out? Or um, do you feel like we've kind of covered the gamut of what you what you would share?
1: Um, I, I mean, I would, especially uh, because of the theme of, of what uh, the culture that you're trying to maybe expose or, or kind of reveal, whatever it might be, um, to to those that listen that maybe are just curious that they might, they're probably not supposed to be listening. <laughs> um,
0: I'm sure there'll be a lot of those.
1: Which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, good, good for you. Right. Um, however, there, the more and more I speak to um, men uh, that I've, that I've, that have been in ministry or that still are and trying to do the ministry thing, uh, the more I talk to people that have gone into extremely, extremely deep depression, um, which is an extremely dangerous and place to be, um, and I would say it's a extremely normal um, if you work in in ministry in these churches to get there. Um, in fact, I've spoken to uh, a few of my very closest friends. And to where we've allowed ourselves to get to the point where we considered, is it better to take my own life or continue in ministry? That's a dark, and I'm I'm a pretty strong person. I feel, right. and if I can get there, I know somebody else is considering that, and it's usually because of hidden sin, because right. it's so pounded into you that it's so there's some things that are so wrong, and uh, there's I would say, like, with anything that, like, it's just not worth it um, to harm yourself and those that are around you by not seeking help by somebody that you know will help you. And that might not be your pastor. It might not be anybody at your church. But, like, please, whatever you do, like, get help and, like, seek somebody that's going to love you um, or professionally help you.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's super, super important. And I think that's, you know, that's something that I think I know for me, like that's something that's very hard to talk about when you're in something like that and you don't feel like there's anyone to, to talk to but finding, finding someone that you can talk to is, is really important. And uh, you know, it's just removing yourself from that unhealthy environment. If you, if you feel like that, then there's something wrong with the environment. It's not, it's, the culture tells you that that's you. If you feel like that, that's you. You're not strong enough. You're not, you're not pushing hard enough. You're not, you know, faithful enough. You're not spiritual enough. But the truth is if you're, if you're in a situation where, you know, doing something that should be a exciting and, you know, spiritually fulfilling and emotionally fulfilling thing, if, if you constantly feel like that, then there's something wrong with that environment And it's probably not what it's being advertised to be. So I really appreciate you sharing that, that as well. That's a great, great thing to add and to, to close out on. So, um, Stephen, thank you so much once again for hopping on the call. I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you being, this is the first recorded interview. So I appreciate you being a a Guinea pig of sorts for this one. Um, but I, I really appreciate the conversation and, you know, getting your perspective and, uh, yeah thank you thank you so much for for hopping on absolutely thanks
1: a lot eric